What a gift to be led by our children in worship. It has been a privilege of mine to come alongside them both at 8.30 and again uh, in this hour. And just so grateful for their thoughtful and joyful leadership. And we continue in worship having heard the word of God from Hebrews. Speaking of running a race, I have run one marathon in my own life. The Flying Pigs Marathon. Anyone know where that takes place? Cincinnati, Ohio. For months leading up to that race, I would train and run a little bit longer each time I went out. Eventually, I came to the day where I needed to run an 18-mile training run, by far the longest run I'd ever done in my life. And for a while, I'm feeling good. At one point, hitting something of a runner's high that those of you who run know a little bit about. You can't really do anything to make a runner's high happen, but from time to time, it will come upon your body. And it's just this wonderfully freeing and full thing where you feel like you could run forever, which may sound absurd, but it really does happen from time to time. But then mile 15, a new tightness begins along the back of my hamstrings. Mile 16 and 17, a gripping tightness along my IT band. Mile 18 is just a pitter-patter of steps as I try to make it back to the front door of our apartment. I open the front door, step into the living room area, and fall to my side. I crawl to the middle of the living room area and collapse in a complete body cramp. Now, I've already told you the end of the story. I eventually do complete the marathon a few weeks later, so you know I figured something out, and I'll get to that story. But before we can get too quickly to that part of the story, we have to remember that uh, the truth of that, a, a part of my marathon story, a critical part of my marathon story, a central part of my marathon story really has to do with when I was broken without another ounce of strength to go forward. Already today, we have rightly celebrated many champions of the Bible, champions who ran the race of faith in a manner where we remember their exemplar moments, their exemplar characteristics. And yet, in some ways, what I find most compelling about their stories are the moments when it was not clear at all how the race would go. Johnny led us in a prayer of confession where we considered the remarkable faith of Abraham and Sarah. Of course, what's remarkable about more remarkable about it is that at one point their faith looks so foolish. God tells them to leave their home, their familiar routines, and to go somewhere they do not yet know. They begin traveling. They end up in this place called Canaan as foreigners living in tents, surely wondering about God's direction and timeline. That's a significant part of the race. Or Joseph, Right, yes, eventually he is raised to the right hand of the king of Egypt, ends up saving a whole lot of people, including his own family, from famine. But before any of that, his own brothers strip him of his clothing, throw him into a cistern without water or food, and then sell him into slavery. We talk about a time in the marathon where it's abundantly unclear how this race is going to go. Or Daniel, we know he gets safely out of the lion's den, he trusted God, God delivered him, but before night, there is no getting around the fact that he was shut inside an intensely dark place with a den of lions. We could go on, but I think we, we begin to see time and again our champions of faith in Scripture, our champions in part 
Because all of them at some point reached a point where somewhere along the way the outcome was far from certain or in fact looked quite dire. The author of Hebrews does not go into every detail of every single champion's story in that litany in Hebrews 11 we heard read. At the same time, the author does not shy away from referencing some of the more difficult and trying aspects of each champion's story. Actually, at one point in Hebrews chapter 11, the author states rather bluntly some of the most profoundly difficult parts of some of these champions' stories. There were others, champions of of faith, there were others who were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging. Some went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Goodness, author of Hebrews, those are some pretty heavy, pretty awful parts of the champion's stories. We know you're trying to encourage us with these faith stories, so why not just tell the story? We left our homeland and God blessed us so much. We took a step of faith and it worked out. I trained for a marathon and I completed it. Why tell the painful part? As I lay there on the living room floor after mile 18, do you know what finally helped my body find emotion and even new strength? My very first ice bath. Now, those of you who have ever iced a muscle know that in some ways it seems counterintuitive. You are exposing the body to yet more pain upon the current pain. An ice bath seems to take that to a positively awful level of pain. And yet, as you all know, the intense cold actually works to ease the swelling, reduce the painful stiffness. It even begins to help heal the micro tears in the muscles. I think many of the intense stories named in Hebrews chapter 11 are an ice bath thrown upon the church as the author of Hebrews is attempting to get the church's legs moving again. For any number of reasons, including persecution itself, the church to which the author is writing has found itself slowing in its run, muscles tightening in anxiety, stiffening in fear. In chapter 11, it's like the author of Hebrews is saying, church, you have got to hear the stories of the champions of faith. In fact, you've got to be bathed in every part of their story that your legs might find new encouragement and perseverance in this marathon. And when I think about my own life, I have to admit that my soul muscles have most often been most deeply invigorated by ice bath stories that tell me about overcoming and persevering and even resurrection, but never without first telling me of the mile 18 cross. In recent years at Emory University's Family Narrative Lab, There have been a number of studies done on children's emotional health and resiliency. And in one landmark study, they came up with this do you know scale that asked uh, children to answer 20 questions about their own family. Questions include things like, do you know where your grandparents grew up? Do you know where your parents met? Do you know the story of your birth? Do you know an illness or something really terrible that happened to you in your family? Do you know some of the lessons that your parents learned from good or bad experiences? 
20 questions. You can look it up online. And their study ultimately showed an overwhelming conclusion. The more the children know about their family's history and story, the stronger their emotional health and resiliency in the face of adversity. One of the most healing things for the tense anxiety and calcified fear often known in the face of adversity is simply hearing and knowing the full marathon story of others in the family. The good as well as the mile 18. The resurrection as well as the cross. I think this is why the author of Hebrew, Hebrews tells story after story of each champion of faith from previous generations of God's family, complete with reference to some of the mile 18 portions of the story. He wants to build up a fresh resiliency in the family. And we hear that goal made explicit when we turn over to chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, since, since we have these family members from a previous generation surrounding us who've lived these marathon stories that we've just considered throughout chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight, every sin that clings to us, and let us run with perseverance or resiliency the race that is set before us. The author of Hebrews assumes that to remember and know the marathon story of our family of faith is an immediate encouragement to our legs in our race. Now that family includes the likes of Abraham and Sarah and Deborah and Joseph and Daniel, but the great cloud of witnesses also very much includes the champions of faith from every previous generation. The picture that Hebrews is painting is one where all of them surround us in a stadium cheering as we are the current marathoners. Which begs the question, how's the marathon going right now? For us? For the church? I mean, maybe we're not at a mile 18 situation, but, but maybe recently we've known something of a mile 15 or 16 or 17 Tightening in fear or anxiety or tiredness upon the heart muscle. Or maybe we are here this morning having fallen painfully upon something of a mile 18 reality. How's the marathon looking? And I wonder, as you discern that, whose voice do you hear from the cloud of champions? who surrounds us. At mile 17 of the actual Flying Pigs Marathon, I turn along this bend overlooking the Ohio River, and there stood my mom and my stepdad, Warner. And it's my mom's voice I still especially hear when I think of that, that moment. My mom, at this point in her life with her knee surgery and her tennis elbow surgery and her ongoing health challenges and her, her multiple metaphorical heart surgeries, it's my mom, I remember, jumping up and down with the biggest of smiles, yelling at the top of her lungs, Go, Bobby! Go, Bobby! Come on, Bobby! You got this! Whose voice do you hear showering such grace from a, the great cloud of champions who cheer us this day? Perhaps they're shouting it. Perhaps they're whispering it. 
Perhaps what you sense is, is no words, but instead that knowing look that showers a thousand words of grace upon you. Of all the champions past, does a certain voice rise above the others this day? And then remember, it's not only the voices of all those before us who have run the marathon, but it is also the voice before us of one who knows full well about the, ma- the mile of complete muscle failure. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The author assures us that in this marathon of faith, we are surrounded by voices of champions past, and foremost, we have Jesus himself before us, who has endured the absolute worst mile 18 possible. And he rose three days later and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God is a way of saying that sin and death will not win, not ultimately. They're not seated in charge. They've been overcome. Jesus is seated. Love is seated. And so for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no mile 18 in all this world that can ultimately hold us down. As mom and Warner faded in the back at mile 17 and I continued into mile 18 in the Flying Pigs Marathon, I could literally feel my legs moving with just a bit more power and a bit more perseverance fueled simply upon that voice. And I pressed fully into mile 18 and would you believe it? I hit a runner's high. Yes, there was pain creeping in every part of my body to the end of that marathon, but at the very same time, Stride after stride began to feel so free and so full. And the church's word for that is grace. Amid sin, amid pain, amid the unknowns, moving with surprising and courageous perseverance. And that is the gift given to us by the great cloud of witnesses who have lived through mile 18 and now cheer all around us. Go! Go! Come on! You've got this! That is the gift of the one who is ever before us, who calls to us and says, oh, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, marathoners. I have overcome the world. Can you hear the thunderous voice of grace that surrounds us and is before us? Can you sense that showering grace upon muscles weary and anxious and fearful. That is precisely the grace that transforms the impossibility of mile 18 into the very mile that of all things we begin to know something of a runner's high. I think it is no wonder that that timeless hymn sings, "'Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home.'" 